evening, everybody. Evening. Let's all stand, and we'll start off with a word of prayer. Brother Marsden, would you uh, open us with prayer, please? Amen. Let's all take your hymnals. Go to hymn number 246. Hymn number 
may be seated. Well, just a few things need to take care of uh, before Brother Lalo comes and preaches for us tonight. The first one is we need to grant a letter uh, for Jared Foster to join Southwest Baptist Church in Oklahoma City. All in favor, a good hearty amen. amen. Anyone opposed? All right. And then I have a thank you note. It says SMBT, thank you so much for all of your uh, outpouring of love, prayers, texts, meals, and letters. It is such a blessing to be prayed for. God is so good, Deanne. And so uh, she's got a little card here that says, you done good. All right. So uh, that's a blessing. Glad to see her up and going. We almost had to slow her down tonight coming in here. She was walking so good. That's a blessing. Um, any rides needed to go to the recharge? Um, if you're planning on riding with Brother Aaron, he needs to know it tonight. Uh, and so if you'll run him down and talk to him about that, he just wants to make sure uh, that he is the appropriate vehicle. And so uh, you can make that plan, get that planned out with him. All right, Brother Lalo, come on, preach for us, brother. I'm back. Okay, it says it's 6.07, so that means I've got 53 minutes to preach still. I'm just kidding. It's... <laughs> I asked Pastor if we can just live stream the GIBF tonight, but he said no, so we're, we're going to go with this. Um, if you go ahead and stand, we'll be reading out of Joshua chapter 9, Joshua chapter 9, um, Joshua chapter 9. I'm excited about this message, it's something the, the Lord has laid on my heart for a while, and I've given a devo about it in the past, and ever since then I've been able to work on it as a message, so hopefully... The Lord helps me tonight to get this message across. Uh, Joshua chapter 9 says in verse number, we'll be doing some jumping around here for the sake of time, but in verse chapter 1 it says, in chapter 9 verse number 1 it says, And it came to pass, when all the kings which were on this side Jordan, in the hills and in the valleys, and in all the coasts of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite and the Jebusite heard thereof, that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai, they did work willily and went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles, old and rent and bound up. If we switch, uh, skip down to verse uh, number 15, we're kind of skipping a little bit, which we'll get into this during the message. It, it says, And Joshua made peace with them, and made a league with them to let them live, and the princes of the congregation swear unto them. Verse 16, it says, And it came to pass at the end of three days, after they had made a league with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors, and that they dwelt among them. And we'll go ahead and stop our, our reading there uh, for the sake of time. We'll go ahead and pray real quick, and then we'll get into this. Lord, thank you so much for this day of life you've given us, Lord. Thank you for the chance that we get to gather here tonight, Lord, get together with uh, your people, Lord, as a family, Lord. You brought us together to uh, sing praise unto you and even open up your word. I pray you give me the words to say. Give me liberty tonight. Your enemy pray, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So, how many of you know what a baby seal looks like? It's, it's an adorable, uh, it almost looks like a giant potato with marbles fries. And uh, there, there's, a, there's a type of seal called an Arctic seal lives around the Arctic Circle. They're, they're quite adorable to look at. 
the thing with them, though, is that they make the perfect meal for polar bears. And a polar bear needs these baby seals uh, to survive, really. And really, for a lot of polar bears, baby seals are their main source of food. So what they'll do, polar bears being as smart as they are, um, they'll, they'll kind of they'll employ some tricks to, to, to catch these baby seals or adult seals, whatever it is. And they'll, they'll find maybe a, a group of water, of, of little holes over there, I guess, where they live. The baby seals will, will drill holes, you could say, into, into the sheets of ice where they kind of slide around. They'll, they'll, they'll fish, they'll dive into those sheets of those holes that they, that they drill into the sheets of ice, and they'll dive in there to catch a fish because they eat fish. And a, a polar bear who's been scouting out the area, who, who you know, these, these, these areas have become their hunting grounds, what they'll do is if that hole that that baby, that, that that baby, the adult seal, will go with, to make it less, less harmful to what's about to happen, um, if, if that polar bear notices that one of, the, one of the feeding holes for these seals is close enough to an open body of water, what he'll do is he'll go to the open body of water and take a deep breath. And um, he, he'll dive underwater and he, he'll hide just underneath that watering hole. And whenever the seals come for feeding time, the, the, the polar bear will kind of will paw up at the ice, and, and the, baby, the, the, the adult seal will, will hear that, and he'll notice that, and he'll be like, oh, there's a fish there. I have to dive in and grab it. And without hesitation, that seal will just dive right in, thinking he's going to get a, a, a yummy snack for him to eat. Little did he know that there'd be a polar bear waiting for him down there that's just w- waiting to rip him to shreds, pretty much. And, and they'll get their food like that. Praise the Lord, the kids are not here right now. Um, if you were to reverse that sometimes, the polar bear will, um, if, if he wasn't there uh, quick enough and the, the seals are feeding now, or maybe the, the, the holes that the seals made aren't close enough to a big body of water, the polar bear can't fit into these little holes that the seals use. What he'll do is he'll, he'll, he'll find one where he sees bubbles coming up. And that's his clue for, to letting him know, hey, there's a, bait, there's, a, there's a seal in there. And he'll wait at the top of the hole. And uh, a seal can hold his, his breath for a long, long time, but it's not forever. Eventually, he has to come back up for, for air. And after a while, the, the polar bear is just sitting there perfectly still. He won't move a muscle. Or she, she won't move a muscle. And they're waiting up there. And eventually, they see those bubbles popping up. And in a lot of ways, that's a seal kind of testing to see uh, it, a polar bear might get a little too excited about that and, and reach in there with his paw and to get nothing. The seal was just kind of making sure it was safe. But if the polar bear waits long enough, that seal has to come up for, for air. So he, he thinks he, he checked the area above him. The seal comes up ready for another breath of air. But what he gets instead is a giant polar bear who's going to have him for dinner. That, that, that polar bear, he employed a, a bit of a trick, you could say. He, he, you could say, he, he, a false sense of security. He kind of lied to that seal, and, and, and now that seal became that polar bear's dinner. That seal fell for a very devastating lie. It costed its life. In the passage tonight, we see an example of the same thing, of a lie. And we see, it's an account of the nation of Israel, you could say, they fell for a lie. They fell for a lie, and it cost them a lot of things. But some, some context leading up to this passage I think would be important because it gives a clue as to what's going on here. So we'll get into this in a minute, but let's look at some context giving, leading up to this, some background information you could say. It'd be good for me to pull my notes out, that way I know what to say. So, the beginning of Joshua starts with Joshua becoming the new ruler over Israel. And, 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 and God says, you know, it's your time to step up. Moses is off the scene and he becomes a new ruler. And right off the bat, we see God do amazing things with the nation of Israel, right? 
Uh, Joshua, in just a, chap- just a couple chapters back, uh, we see the account of, of them going, sending two spies to spy out the, this city called Jericho. And, and it's the account of the, the spies coming back. Ten were bad, two were good, so forth. And eventually, the, God leads the nation of Israel across the Jordan River on dry ground. That's amazing. And then, in, in, in a miraculous way, a way that it wasn't even humanly possible, God delivers the city of Jericho into the hands of Israel. They march around seven times. On the seventh time, they blow their trumpets and they shout. And the walls fall down and they kill everybody. They, they take the city for themselves. God delivered Jericho in a very miraculous, spectacular way. You could say it's never been done before to the hands of Israel. And maybe the nations around him are kind of finding it. They're kind of hearing these rumors of Israel. They're like, man, something, something, something's up with this, this nation. They, they took down Jericho just like that. And then later on, they, they, they tried to attack Ai, but uh, if you were to read into that, um, they, the first attack doesn't succeed. They, they're not successful in their first attack. Well, because in, when, they, when they overtook Jericho, God told them not to steal, not to take any of the spoil for themselves. But there was a man named Achan. He stole some of the stuff. Some, he took some spoils against God's command, against Joshua's command, and he hid it in his tent. And because of that, they lost, you could say, their first attack against the city of Ai. And, and uh, Joshua falls before the face of God, and he says, God, what's wrong? Why are you turning your back on us? God says, get up from the ground. There's some sin in the camp you need to get rid of. They take care of the sin. They, they take care of Achan and his sin, and God's with them again, and he delivers into them the city of Ai. Man, another victorious battle won to this nation of Israel. And, and, leading, and right after that, it's almost like they, they, they gather for church. They go, they go up to two mountains, and they meet with God, and they, they recommit themselves as a nation to God. They, they go over the commandments that Moses had, had written on the stones, and they rewrite them, and he, it's almost like they're having church again. Joshua's preaching at them. They recommit their, their lives as a nation to God. You know, they, they just had a literal mountaintop experience. And that leads up to chapter 9. That's where we'll be at today, where they, where they fall for this lie. It says there were some nations um, that heard of, of, of this, this, this nation of Israel. They, they heard of how they crossed over Jordan on, on dry ground, and the walls of Jericho just seemed to fall down, and although at first they didn't succeed, they wiped out Ai. Who is this nation? Maybe a little bit more investigating kind of got ear to them, got a word to them that even before that happened, God delivered them out of Egypt in a crazy, miraculous way. And the things that God did for them, when Pharaoh and his men were chasing after them, the sea swallowed them up. Who is this nation? And you could, they got a little scared, you could say. Scared enough, we see in verse 1, it says, And it came to pass, when all the kings were on this side, Jordan, in the hills, and in the valleys, and in all the coasts of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite, and the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard thereof. And they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. Their, their, their reputation was preceding them enough. Their reputation was scary enough, you could say, that even nations, uh, tribes that would typically be at odds against each other, said, we have to come together to fight this one common enemy, this, this nation of Israel and their God. Nations that would be at war with each other, usually at odds, that weren't friends with each other, had to come together to stand against this one enemy, this invading nation of Israel. And that was one response that the nations took. That was one response that these nations had. There's another response that another nation had to, to, to this, this fame, you could say, that spreading of this nation of Israel. And that's the nation of Gibeon. It says in verse 3, And when the inhabitants of Gibeon 
heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and to Ai, they heard the same things. They heard what was going on with this nation. They did work willily. That's really hard for me to say, so I'm going to say, I'm going to give you the definition so I can use the definition instead. But it, mean, it means conniving, deceitfully. So they were working deceitfully to come up with a plan. They said, maybe they thought this, if we can't beat them, we can join them. So they worked up a plan, the Bible says, to try and trick Israel to form an alliance with them, to, to form a league with them, to get on the same team as the winning team, you could say. So it says, And they went and made as if they had been ambassadors, and took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles, old and rent and bound up. Verse number five is their clothes, and old shoes and clouded upon their feet, and old garments upon them, and all the bread of the provision was dry and moldy. They wanted to look like they had been traveling for a long time. They took old clothes, old shoes, maybe they had stored away, maybe they went to the local thrift shop, and they found the oldest, ugliest stuff they could find, made some more holes, rub it through the, through the dirt and the mud. They made sure to search back deep in their pantries and look for the oldest bread, oldest food they had. They made sure to find old wine bottles that had holes in them. They wanted to look as if they had been traveling for a very long time. They, they came up with a conniving plan to try and trick the nation of Israel. It says, And they went to Joshua, unto the camp at Gilgal, and said unto him, and to the men of Israel, We come from a far country. Now, therefore, make ye a league with us. It's important to realize that the fame of Israel had kind of been spreading. The name of Joshua, the great general of this nation, was spreading. And it was spreading how God was delivering all these nations into them. We saw the reaction of, of one group of nations was to team up together, fight against this, this nation of Israel. But the reaction of this, of the Gibeonites, was they wanted, to, they wanted to fool Israel. They wanted to join him, to trick him. Because they knew, maybe they knew in, in Deuteronomy, if we were, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read there. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 20, God's giving a command here, it says, um, verse 16, But the cities of these people, which the Lord thy God doth give thee for an inheritance, thou shalt save alive nothing that breatheth, but thou shalt utterly destroy them, namely the Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites, which is where the, which is where the Gibeonites would have been a part of, and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord thy God hath commanded thee. They were smart enough to know that this nation of Israel, God's delivering people, nations, kingdoms into their hands, and we're next on their hit list. We're coming up. Our name is on there. And if, if we don't do something quick, we'll be next. We're going to perish. Our nation will be destroyed. So they came and told Joshua. They, they, like I said, they, they pretended like they grabbed as much equipment as they could to make themselves like they were traveling for a long, long time. And they came before Joshua and the elders of the nation of Israel, and they said, we come from a far, far country, and we've heard about you, and we want to make a league with you. And, you know, why does it matter if they were from a far country? This is Wednesday night, so we can get into a little bit more of a, of a study mode. But if you go back again to the same chapter of Deuteronomy, it says, this is God giving them commands as to what, what, what their war path should look like. It says in verse 10, When thou comest nigh unto a city to fight against it, then proclaim peace unto it. And it shall be, if it make the answer of peace, and open unto thee, then it shall be, that all the people that is found therein shall be tributaries unto thee, and they shall serve thee. And if it will make no peace with thee, but will make war against thee, then thou shalt besiege it. Verse 15, Thus shalt thou do unto all the cities which are very far off from thee, which are not of the cities of these nations. In this passage, God had commanded Israel 
Unless the cities, the nations that I sent you to destroy are in this list, if they're from, from a faraway country, I will allow you to offer peace to them. And if they accept it, they'll be your tributaries. They'll serve you. That's as long as they're not from this list that I'm about to list, which is the verses we read earlier. So I'm not even going to say that dogmatically speaking that they knew about this commandment from God, but they knew, hey, if we can trick him into thinking we're from a faraway country, and maybe if we can trick him into, think, into making a league with us, maybe we'll be spared. While these other nations teamed up to fight Israel, the Gibeonites tried to trick him. So they're there. They're asking Joshua and the elders to make, to make a league with them. And um, naturally, the men, uh, we see in verse... Uh, Verse uh, uh, 7, it says, And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, Peradventure ye dwell among us. How shall we make a league with you? They say, something's a little suspicious here. What if, what if you're one of our neighbors? What if you live here in this land? Why should, I make, why should I make a league with you? They were a little suspicious of this random group of people that were ambassadors from our far country. So what do they do? These Gibeonites? Well, they double down. And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. And Joshua said unto them, Who are ye, and whence come ye? They came up with this big scheme in order to trick Israel into making a league with them. And yeah, they were suspicious at first, but they doubled down their lies and they say, We are from a far country. We, we, we want to serve thee. Make a league with us. It says in verse 8, And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. In every sense of the word, their lie was kind of seeping in. It was kind of reaching Joshua and the elders' ears, they were kind of like, okay, we were a little suspicious at first, but, I mean, they say they're from a far country. They, they lied to Joshua. In the next verses, which we'll, read, we'll get into here in a minute, they, they lied to Joshua in some different ways. It says in, um, the first thing we see is that they, they, just, they just tell straight out lies. They say, we're from a far country. We want to make a league with you. We saw that in verses 4 through 6, and in verses 9 through 11, we just keep on reading, it says, And they said unto him, From a very far country thy servants are come, because of, the, because of the name of the Lord thy God. For we have heard the fame of him, and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan, to Sihon king of Heshbon, and to Og king of Bashan, which was at Astaroth, Wherefore, our elders and all of the inhabitants of our country spake to us, saying, Take victuals with you for the journey, and go to meet them, and say unto them, We are your servants. Therefore now, make ye a league with us. In the first verses, they just give a straight-out lie, saying, We're from a far country. Make a league with us. And then when Joshua and the elders get suspicious, they double down, lie again, and they even, you could say, they, they start stroking their ego. They say, We've heard your fame from a faraway country. We've heard about your great God and our whole country and the elders of, of, our, of our country were like, wow, you guys are amazing. Go, go and make peace with them. We want to join up on their team. They were kind of stroking their ego a little bit. They, they just straight out lied at first. They doubled down. They, they, they were stroking their ego to try and convince them. And then they even proves, they even show some false evidence to try and convince them. In the next couple of verses it says, this is our bread. They took out their bread. We took hot for our provision, but out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. But now, behold, it is dry. It's moldy. They're saying, we, we, we almost have them. Here, look at our bread. It's old and moldy. Is this not proof enough? And, and in the next verse, look at our wine bottles. They're rent. Look at our shoes. Look at our clothes. They're old, dirty. They have holes in them. 
Why don't you believe us? We're from a far country. And the next, we see the response of Joshua and the leaders. It says in verse 14, And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. These, these, these Gibeonites, they, they came up with a plan to fool the nation of Israel. They knew they couldn't beat them, so they wanted to join them. Maybe they could be spared that way. And, and they come up with a lie, with a fib, you could say. They, they, they even kind of try to uplift them. Like, you guys are so great. We just had to come be part of your team. And, and, and they even try to, they produce some false evidence to try and convince him, saying, look at our bread. Look at our wine bottles. Look at our clothes. How don't you believe us? We're from a far country. So Joshua and the elders, maybe they're, they, it, was, it was convincing enough. I mean, I mean, look at their clothes. I mean, their story lines up with the evidence we're seeing, and they are right. We are a pretty awesome nation. I mean, God is really delivering all these other nations into our hands. Let, let's do it. Let, let's make a league with them. Let's make an alliance with them. So it says that, verse 15, And Joshua made peace with them, and made a league with them, and let them live. We had read in Deuteronomy that the will of God was that they would be destroyed. They were accounted amongst the group of people that had to be utterly destroyed. God wanted them conquered. And through their lies, through their trickery, they got Joshua. They got the elders. They made a league with them. They swore an oath to them that they wouldn't kill them. Verse 16 says, And it came to pass at the end of three days, after they had made a league with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors, and that they dwelt among them. They found out that these people that swore they were from a far country had tricked them. They'd fallen for their lies. Can you imagine the reaction that Joshua and the other elders had? Can, can you just, just try and put yourself in their shoes? They lied to us. Oh man, get me my spear, get me my sword. Nobody's going to lie to us and get away with it. I'm, I'm kind of putting stuff in here, but I, I can just imagine myself in that situation. I'd be angry. Why would you lie to us? It says, And the children of Israel journeyed, and they came their, unto their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, and Shepherah, and Beroth, and Kirjath-Jerim. And the children of Israel smote them not, because the prince of the congregation had sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Man, once I get my hand on them, those liars, and once they show up, they re, they're, you know, at least they didn't mess up twice. They said, we can't kill them. We made an oath. We made a vow to them that we wouldn't kill them. And they fell for the lies of these Gibeonites. And the people that they were supposed to destroy, to conquer, they were now in a league with. They couldn't kill now. They, you could say, they failed God. They failed what God had said in the Deuteronomy chapter 20. They fell for the lie. The people were mad. They said the, Bible, the Bible says that they were murmuring against the princess. The princes, of course, were probably mad. They were, they were, they were, I know what you feel, I know what you feel. I want, we want to kill them too, but we can't. We swore an oath unto them. And they knew that if they broke that oath, that God would punish them for that too. And uh, like I said, we can dive into a little bit of our study, but that happens later on. I believe it's in First or Second Samuel. Uh, there's a drought going on. This King David's already king. There's a drought going on. He asks God, God, why is this drought going on? And he says, it was a drought or a famine, I can't remember, but... God says, the reason that I sent this upon your people is because Saul, when he was still king, he killed a lot of the Gibeonites. He broke the oath that had been sworn to them many, many years ago. 
So at least we can give credit to, the, to Joshua and the elders here for at least not going back on their word, for keeping their, their oath, for keeping their vow that they sworn to these people. So the Gibeonites are now in league with Israel. The people they were supposed to destroy are now safe because of their vow. You could say they failed God from what he said in Deuteronomy chapter 20. But I think the true failure of Israel wasn't falling for their lie. And yeah, I'm not going to condone lying. That was wrong. The Gibeonites shouldn't have done that. But I think the true lesson, it's simple truth today, and the, and, the, and the true failure that we can learn from in this chapter is found in verse 14. It says, And the men took of their victuals, the victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. Well, the failure here wasn't the fact that they fell for the lie. And yes, the Gibeonites shouldn't have lied. Lying is a sin. That's true. But you could say, uh, they're, they're not people of God. They're going to do things that go against the word of God. That's almost, you could say, expected. The failure here is on the shoulders of the people of Israel. It's on Joshua and the elders because what? They failed to seek counsel from the Lord. Previous chapters, these great victories, if you, if, if you, if you go back and read these, these chapters, God had been leading Joshua and the people, telling them what to do next, telling them how to do it. Even in Jericho, God says, I want you to march around seven times. Joshua says, okay. He probably thought, I don't know what that's about, but God said it, so let's do it. They've been trusting the word of God up to this point. And, and these, these Gibeonites came with a scheme, with a lie, and, and, and they stroked their egos a little bit. They had a great story. They even produced some false evidence. And, and, and Joshua and the elders, rather than turning to God, which they knew is what they should have done, which they knew was always a safe bet, they what? They trusted their senses. They, you could say they were walking by sight and not by faith. They, they were convinced of their lie. And because they failed to turn to God for counsel, for wisdom, for guidance, they were now, they, they failed God in what he said in Deuteronomy chapter 20. They were supposed to wipe out the Gibeonites. Why? They failed to seek counsel of the Lord. They didn't turn to God for guidance. They didn't turn to God for wisdom on what to do next. That's where the lesson is to be learned. That's where the failure of Israel lies. The true failure of Israel was not seeking counsel from the Lord. Israel fell for the lies of the Gibeonites because they didn't seek counsel from God. And just like the nation of Israel, here's where I'm going to bring it over to us. The, 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 people, the Gibeonites came before the nation of Israel and they proposed a league, an alliance. And Israel, in that moment, had a very important choice to make. They had a very important decision to make. And because they didn't seek the voice of God, they made the wrong choice. And just, as, just, just like the nation of Israel, very simple truth, nothing groundbreaking tonight, maybe a good reminder, as Christians, guess what? We're going to have a lot of choices, a lot of decisions we find ourselves at in life. And if we're not careful, I guess you could say the dangerous part about having to make choices and decisions every single day is that we live in a world that's full of lies. We live in a world that's controlled by the father of lies. We'll get into that in a minute. Man, making choices and decisions every day is hard enough. Am I making the right one or not? But it makes it even much more, it makes it so much harder, you could say more dangerous, when you know the world you're living in is controlled by the father of all lies. When the world you're living in is full of nothing but lies and liars. That's what makes it difficult. And just like the nation of Israel, if we're not careful, we begin to trust our senses, our common knowledge, our common sense, you could say, our human knowledge, and we forget to turn and seek after the counsel of God, we'll end up falling for a lie, making the wrong choice that goes against what God has 
said or what God wants for us. Like I said, it's nothing new, nothing groundbreaking, but I think a good reminder, a good lesson from the nation of Israel of the dangers of making choices and decisions without seeking the counsel of God, without seeking for God's guidance in our life. And like, just like the lies that were fed to the nation of Israel, these lies will be just straight-up lies that go against what God has said or what He wants from us. Or you know, uh, I'll get into this in a minute, but a lot of the lies that culture shoves down our throats or that Satan has influenced culture with, man, they're all about stroking your ego and lifting you up. And a lot of these lies will produce a lot of false evidence saying, look at these videos. This is what living a life in sin actually looks like. Isn't it the best? It's a lot of false evidence out in the world today. And these lies, these lies from the, from the, from the father of lies have the risk of leading many Christians down a path they should have never been. Why? Because we're failing to seek after the counsel of God in our lives. We're failing to seek after the counsel of God in every decision that we make. It's important. And yes, you've heard it so many times preached that, or told you, or even in the Word of God, you need to ask the Lord for guidance in every decision you make. And you say, man, that's tiring. Every single decision I make has to be ordered by God. Yes, it's tiring. Yes, at times it can be annoying. Yes, it's frustrating that we have to do that with every decision. But may I say, it's also necessary. It's necessary for you to stay in the will of God. It's necessary for you to be able to please God with your life. It's necessary for you to take every decision you make and take it to God. Ask God, God, is this a truth from you or is it a lie from Satan? God, is this really what you want from me? Or is this just Satan trying to lead me astray and to, to be out of your will, to go against what you want from me? It's necessary. Very necessary. Like I said, uh, John eight forty four is where we see that verse. It says, ye are, your, ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he, the devil, is a liar and the father of it. The father of lies is the one who is influencing this world and the lies that lead many Christians astray. We're faced with decisions and choices every day. And like I said, it's tiring, but it's necessary to take every choice and decision before us to God. We can't afford to think that a decision is too small or too big for us to take before God. Because the very same Satan who fooled the nation of Israel here is the very same Satan that convinced Eve just to take a bite. It's just a piece of fruit. What's the big deal? No decision is too small or too big for you to take to God. It says in Psalms 37, 23, the steps of a good man, the steps, every step of a good man, you could say, are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. Simple truth tonight. We as Christians need to remember, or maybe for some learn, to turn to God for guidance and wisdom in any choice or decision we have in life. Any decision or choice. Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not into thine own understanding. I could have read that from the get-go and just said a couple sentences and we would have been good. But this is a picture, a story, an account of what it looks like Whenever you fall for the lies of the devil, of Satan, and without turning to counsel, without turning to God for counsel, for guidance, it'll lead you to a place where you, don't, where you do what God didn't ever want you to do. And yeah, I can preach about the big lies, right? Satan will lie to you about, for, maybe for young people or even married couples, 
the lies of Satan are, are true, and we're going to be faced with decisions and choices every day, and the lies can, can kind of stroke your ego. The lies can produce false evidence saying, you know what, it's okay to fulfill these lusts outside of marriage. That's totally okay. You don't have to wait till you're married. That's crazy. Look at this evidence. Look how fun, how much fun it is. Look, look at the pleasure it can cost you, it, 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 can, it can grant you. And you don't turn to God for wisdom, for guidance, and you do something that God wishes you never would have done. And I can turn to these great, like I can, I can touch on alcohol and, and drugs and all these things, but I think maybe the danger for Christians is we think, I'm not sinning, I'm not, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing alcohol, I'm not doing drugs, I'm good. I don't have to turn God, to God for every other decision. I'm not doing the big things. No. Every decision in life should be, guide, should be led, should, we should be led to make every decision in life by God. Because maybe another lie that Satan tries to, to shove your, maybe Satan thinks, man, I can't get them away from God completely. What I can do is get that Christian, get that teenager to settle for what's good, not for what's God's best for their lives. And maybe Satan is trying to shove these lies in your life, in, in, down your throat, and it's trying to convince you to make a choice, and, 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 and it, you're, you're presented with a choice in front of you, and you fail to seek the counsel of God. And you make an alliance with something you never should have been in league with. It's a sad account. And we see that they were stuck with it. They, they, they couldn't kill the Gibeonites. They were stuck with their decision. They were stuck with the choice that they made. Now, we're going to keep on reading because, praise the Lord, the story doesn't end there. See, the Gibeonites, they, they weren't able to be killed, but they said, you know what? We're going to make them our slaves. And their punishment is that they would, they would be their slaves. They were given to the work of the temple of the Lord. The, these, this, this, this foreign nation that had, fo- had false idols and false gods was enslaved to the nation of Israel. You know what they said? Your work for us, you're going to be assisting the priests in the tabernacle. And eventually, this extended over to the temple. It says, we won't read it for the sake of time because I'm running out of it, but... Um, they, they, were, they were to haul water back and forth to the temple. They were to cut up firewood and haul it as fuel because the temple would use a lot of both of these. And yeah, the nation of Israel, they failed to seek the counsel of God. They made a wrong choice. They gave in to the lies that Satan was, was presenting in front of them. Yeah, they messed up. But the story doesn't end there. You see, God turned Israel's failure into a victory. And you say, how do you do that? Well, we're going to look at two different things here. Eventually, the Gibeonites, they, they, get, they, get, the name, they, they get the name here. This, I'm going to try and read it. Be with me, people. The, the Nethanims. They were given the name Nethanims. And we'll get into that in a minute. But eventually, God makes the Gibeonites part of the nation of Israel. Like I said, the Gibeonites were to do tasks for the priest and the tabernacle and eventually the temple. Like I said, they would haul water. And they most likely did this because they knew that if they invited foreign nations into, the, into their midst, that they would be led away to false idols, false gods. So they said, you know what? Let's keep them close to the work of God so they can't corrupt us. We messed up already, but let's keep them close to the work of God so they can't shove their false idols into our culture. So they did that. And if you were to, if you were to search the scriptures, there isn't a single piece of evidence that tells us that these people, the Gibeonites, later known as the Nethanims, ever caused that kind of problem for the nation of Israel. In fact, uh, the word Nethanims means the given ones. They were given to assist the priests. Like I said, they were eventually absorbed into the children of Israel. 
And if we turn to Ezra chapter 2, you don't have to turn there, but Ezra chapter 2, it says in verse 43, this is listing off a list of all the people that returned to, to, to Jerusalem after the captivity. Verse 43, the Nethanims, the children of Ziha. Eventually, the Nethanims were absorbed by the children of Israel, and they became part of the nation of God. You say, yeah, they messed up. Israel should have sought counsel of the Lord. And they made a league with somebody that they should have never made a league with. They, they failed to seek counsel of God. But God even turned that failure into a victory. Eventually, these Nethanims, by the evidence that maybe we can, we can find here, maybe they give up their idols and started serving the one true God. They were absorbed into the nation of Israel so much so that they wanted to return home to their new home after that captivity. Not only that, but in the next chapter, Joshua chapter 10, you see, God forgave the nation of Israel, and he performs another great victory for them. They, they conquer five nations in one battle. So yes, they messed up, but God turned their, their failure into a victory. Eventually, the Gibeonites would be part of their nation. More children of God, you could say. Not only that, but God didn't abandon the nation of Israel right then and there for their failure. No, he forgave them. He gave them another great victory in the very next chapter. A victory, and he, I'm not going to get into that chapter because that's a whole other preaching, but a great victory from God. God still used the nation of Israel. He wasn't done with them. And just like the nation of Israel, like I said, we're faced with choices. And I know it's true in my life, and it's probably true for a lot of people in this room. We, we, we kind of we accept the lies. We believe the lies. And we make choices and decisions that we wish we would have never made. And maybe you could say you bear the scars of the decisions and choices you made out of God's will. And yes, this is a great reminder. Teenagers, adults alike, married couples, grandparents, grandpas, grandmamas, seek the Lord for every decision that you have in life. And yes, maybe you've made the wrong choices, the wrong decisions. But God can make your failure into a victory. This isn't just something, this isn't just... uh, um, a reminder to do, what's, to do what's right, but rather even a message of hope that you might bear scars of the wrong choices and decisions you've made, but just like God used the failure of Israel to bring the Gibeonites, you could say he added to the total number of the children of God, and he even kept on using Israel in the next chapter, and he, he, he provided for them a great victory. You might have made the wrong choices and decisions at, wrong, at one point, and you're stuck with them like Israel was with, with the Gibeonites. But God can turn your failure into a victory. And God still wants to use every single, every single person, regardless of the wrong decision or choices you've made. So it's twofold tonight. A reminder. And the teenagers are always heavy on my heart because I'm a youth pastor and, and a lot of the, these decisions and scars, you could say, that I bear of the, of the wrong choices that I made because I, didn't, I wasn't seeking after God. I wasn't seeking after His counsel. I made in my teenage years. And I'm only 23, but I've done some stupid stuff. And I wish I would have never done those things, but I implore you teenagers, I'm going to pinpoint you guys for a little bit. It's never, you're never too young to start seeking after the face of God. You're never too young to get on your knees and ask God, God, what do you expect from me in this decision? There's this choice be- before me, and I don't know, it's, it's so complicated and hard, I don't know what's right or what's wrong, and maybe Satan is trying to convince me to do this. Seek the face of God. Don't forget that you have a God who's wanting to guide you and direct your every step. And for the adults, we're, st- we're, not, we're not out of the woods yet. We still, every day, need to make decisions based on what God is telling us, whether it be in His Word or our everyday walk with Him. 
And yes, you might make wrong choices or decisions at time, but don't give up because God hasn't given up on you either. He'll turn your failure into a victory. He'll keep on using you even after you've made the wrong choices or decisions. So just a brief reminder. I know that the Lord used this in my life, and sometimes it can be easy for me to look back and beat myself up for the things I've done, things I wish I could take back. If I could just go back and change that one thing I made, that one decision I made, man, I would do anything to do that. But I thank God that His mercy and His love is still using me today. I have no business being up here, but it's the grace of God. You could say that chapter 10 in my life, I'm so thankful to God for it. And it taught me a valuable lesson. I'm not gonna, I, I, pray, I pray and I ask God, God, help me, Lord. I don't want to make the same decision that I made last time. I don't, want, I don't want to fall for the lies that this world and Satan has to offer. I don't want to make an, an alliance with something before I seek you, before I seek your face, before I seek your guidance. So yeah, I've, made stu- I've, I've done things I shouldn't have. Every single person in this room has. And maybe we learn from that. And going forward, never fail to do the one thing we're supposed to do. Whenever you're presented with a choice or a decision, ask yourself, am I going to seek the face of God? Am I going to go and get counsel from the Lord? Because if you're not careful, you'll make alliances and leagues with things you never ever had business making them with. We'll go ahead and pray. Thank you for this opportunity to preach, Pastor. And I just, I just pray, especially the teenagers, even adults, that... You just never, no problem, like I said, no, no, no decision, no choice is ever too small or too big for you to take to God. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you so much for this day of life you've given us, Lord, and thank you for the reminder, Lord, from um, the book of Joshua, Lord, and the importance of seeking after your face with every decision and choice we find ourselves with in life. And we know that Satan is the father of lies and he's wanting to tear your people down, Lord, get us out of your will, get us to do things that we should, that we have no business doing, God. So I pray that you help remind us, Lord, that in our own strength, with our own common sense, you could say, we can't make the right decisions. We'll fall for these lies. We have to turn to you, God. We have turned to you to guide our every step, our every decision, our every choice. Pray you be with the prayer requests, Lord, that are, we're about to lift up before you. Thank you for everything you've done, everything you're doing, Lord, here at Shawnee, and thank you for everything you will do. Let me pray, amen. Benson.